0: Welcome to the Underground, the Steel City Underground, a Pittsburgh Steelers podcast made by fans like you, for fans like you. Now, here's your host, Joe Kuzma. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Steel City Underground podcast. I am your host, Joe Kuzma. And before I get to today's show and introduce my co-host, I wanted to... List a retraction to the show I did the other day with Steel City Report's Nathaniel Bodner. I'd actually botched SteelCityBlitz.com's Ben Anderson contacting me and letting me know that I got his statistic wrong. And I had a feeling that I did. I read it on. Twitter or Facebook, and Ben Anderson, if you don't already follow him, at BenAnderson58 on Twitter, or SteelCityBlitz.com, where he works with Steel Dad. They have a very good website full of Steelers content there. Kind enough to send me a message. First off, Domina Peco. this was the one I was trying to think of, and I think I said something like he only had a couple of wins against the Steelers. He's actually only had six, but over a 10-year career, that's six wins in 21 Games against the Pittsburgh Steelers over 10 years. If you're a sports better, a betting person, man or woman, betting man or betting person, or betting woman, betting lady, <laughs> then you're going to want to put your money on the Pittsburgh Steelers beating Domina two to one. Yeah, I'd be upset if I was him too. Also, Ben, and sometimes we clash minds, but Ben, thank you for listening to the last show, and adding this, since you weren't able to join us the other day, he wanted to let us know that the Ratbirds, have specifically the stat that Nate had put out, little, he says it's misleading. And I, I tend to agree with you, Ben. The Steelers are 10-3 and three overall, regular season and in the playoffs versus the Ravens over the past 10 years. But it's the last six games that have been the thorn in our side. We hate to mention it. We're talking about rivalries. This was the thing that really stuck like a a thorn in your side. You don't feel good about going 1-5 against them in the past six games. In the past five years, 3-8. and And Ben wanted to let us know that they seem to have Big Ben's number in particular with only one real big game against them the past three seasons. Of course, over the last 10 years, the Steelers, as we had mentioned, having to have different fill-in quarterbacks such as Byron Lefwich and Charlie Batch, and then of course last year with Michael Vick. So the Steelers have had a bad batch of luck against who's supposed to be their rivals. Of course, when those Ratbirds have their own backup quarterback. The Steelers have their own woes as well. So thank you to SteelCityBlitz.com's Ben Anderson. Thank you for sending that to me, Ben, and hope to have you on the show soon. But today, joining me, co-host and SteelCityUnderground.com contributor, Mr. Steelers Grind himself, Eric Herman. Eric, how are you today?
1: I'm good, Joe. I'm glad to finally be back after a little over a month after this article got published.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, finally, part two of our off-season Steeler way too early Steelers predictions. It's almost not too early now with training camp (laughs) right around the corner, but offensive predictions that we made, we had a roster bubble player who was just released by the Pittsburgh Steelers, tight end Matt Spath. So I think we hit the nail on the head at least with that, and at least we got that show done before that news. So we're finally back together for the part two that I had promised practically a month ago. Like you said, we're here today with the dual opinions version of the way too early Steelers predictions, the defense edition. And today we're going to be talking about, well, some of the cover guy that's on this particular article was Shamarco Thomas, but we're going to start with the biggest addition to the Steelers defense in 2016. I'm going to go with this one uh, to start off here, Eric. And as I said, I thought that Artie Burns might get on the field first. But my guy, and I think it's just because I love the small college players, I think his nickname's the Gravedigger. They gave it to him, Javon Hargrave. Not Hargraves. That was the corner that we were looking at. We have some people out there that want to call him Hargraves and make his name plural. But this guy was a monster from South Carolina State. A lot of people, a lot of scouts, saying that he had Division One talent, and it's very. I think it's very promising that if a guy had Division One talent, but for multiple reasons he had to play at a smaller school like a 1AA school or FCS, uh, the championship division or whatever. they. I'm not even sure what they call these college football things now with the playoff and the power conferences and everything else. I'm more an NFL guy myself. But Javon Hargrave, small school, just totally dominant. And I think one of the things is when you talk about John Mitchell, the Steelers' assistant coach, where I was talking about the coaching staffs not too long ago in an article over at steelcityunderground.com. This guy is also the defensive line coach. He's been doing it for over 30 years. He said that he could that Hargrave can play Anywhere along the line. So he's going to be spelling Cam Hayward and Stefan to it. I think he's going to get a lot of time on the field as a defensive end. Steelers play a lot of hybrid where they're only using maybe two down linemen. Sometimes they throw four out there. So he's going to be sandwiched between Big Dan McCullers as well. He's going to have multiple opportunities to get on the field. This isn't a guy like where we were originally predicting, like an Andrew Billings to get drafted several months ago where you're just going to plug him in as nose tackle and have to pull him off the field on third down. No, this is where I remember the San Diego Chargers game where you saw all our big guys on the line like to it just profusely sweating. These guys are going to be able to get a little bit of a breather. That's going to be a major problem for other defenses, and if Hargrave could live up to his billing, not, not billings, like the guy I actually thought we were going to draft, but I think Hargrave is a third-round pick is going to be a phenomenal value and an impact player this year on the defense. Eric, who's your biggest addition for 2016?
1: Uh, Well, before I say my pick, I did a quick Google and he got the name grave digger because his teammates called him grave. And during a game, he smacked the quarterback, knocked him back a few yards. And when he got back to the sideline, his defensive coordinator called him grave digger. So just a little tangent right there for you.
0: Yeah, I like it. I I think that's like probably one of the coolest nicknames like you could give a football a football player on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Gravedigger probably doesn't work too well. Like, probably you don't want to call somebody Megatron as a defensive lineman either. So, yeah, that's pretty. Hey,
1: we, we had big snack. So big snack.
0: <laughs> big snack, and that, well, yeah, there was big snack, and I'm trying to think what they were trying to call like bigger snack maybe for Dan McCullers. And you know what? We, we don't know what Big Dan's gonna do yet, but. Yeah. Who you got for your defensive
1: yeah. addition? Anyway, yeah, I got Sean Davis. He's my guy, and he—he's was kind of strange for me because when doing, like, I do so much research, even though I don't like watch film, I kind of just re- I try to do as much research as I can by reading articles and looking at scouting por- reports. But Sean Davis really wasn't on my radar because people weren't clear: is he going to be cornerback? Is, is he going to be safety? And I think he he's gonna do really well for the Steelers. He's that versatility that the Steelers as of recent years just love. Because so he can, as we've heard, he can play the slot cornerback, he can play safety, and there's a really good chance we're gonna use him in dime a lot because that's a formation we end up using a lot towards the end of the season. And we we tended to use that with Robert Golden and Will Allen, but now that we have Sean Davis and Robert Golden, that makes a lot more of an athletic duo. So I think that just brings a lot more possibilities on this defense.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and without a doubt, uh, at least during the OTAs, they were working out Sean Davis as a safety, and uh, and like you said, the versatility—versatility versatility is a big thing that me and you really preach whenever we're writing mm-hmm. articles or we're here on the podcast, of course, with Matt Spath getting released— we were talking about the versatility of David Johnson and how they kept Will Johnson last year, who could play fullback and a tight end as well, plus special teams being a, a really big deal. So I think Sean Davis is one of those players that can that can do it all. I, I saw that with Robert Golden some as well, where they brought that extra defensive back, that I guess you want to say a third safety, but I don't know. Golden's just kind of roaming around like wherever out there. So it's it, it's a very interesting style of hybrid player or defense that Keith Butler was uh, maybe experimenting with. We saw it mostly against the Denver Broncos in both of those games. We didn't see it much any other time except maybe a little bit later at the year. I mean, of course, they didn't really have to use that type of defense and that alignment uh, against, like, the Cleveland Browns. I mean, that that was unnecessary. But when you're dealing with the number of wide receivers and, like, a Peyton Manning and a guy that's, you know, a quick release and hard to get to, I, of course, Sean Davis is, I think, I really like Sean Davis. I'm kind of tripping over my words here
1: because I don't, dis- <laughs> I
0: don't necessarily disagree with you. And-
1: yeah, I don't disagree with you either. I mean, we're both great players, and we're both clearly really excited for them.
0: Yeah, and Sean Davis, I, I really like. I really, I mean, like I said, Artie, Artie Burns could be on the field day one too. But I think Sean Davis has the maybe the quicker path to be a starter. But I'm still not. Uh, what do I want to say? I still don't want to undersell like Robert Golden either. So it's it's very difficult. There, there's so many. Unlike the offensive edition of this show that we did, it's very difficult to just pick out. Like there, it was just okay, Ladarius Green because there weren't any major, like, uh, acquisitions on the offensive side of the ball versus the defensive side of the ball. They, they drafted all but two draft picks were defensive players, and they're just overhauling the whole thing. So it's very uh, – you have so many names that you could pick from here. It's almost unfair, I want to say, the whole draft class because I mm-hmm. like everybody that – and I'm trying to pick up uh, here. I'm looking up the stats for the gravedigger. And his mm-hmm. freshman, he, you know, he played – he played four years in college, and as a freshman he had 45 tackles and four-and-a-half tackles for a loss. And so that was good enough to be a freshman All-American. The following season he had 12-and-a-half tackles for a loss and three-and-a-half sacks. It was his junior season that he tied an FCS record with a total of six sacks in one game. He finished third among the FCS with 16 sacks as a junior and was voted as an AP All-American. As a senior, now, mind you, that, that's, that's mind-blowing, but this guy is playing nose tackle.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, like six and a half sacks. That's that in numbers right there. <laughs> I mean,
0: uh, six in a game, six and one, 16 an entire year as a nose tackle. And then he comes, and he has six solo tackles, four and a half of those tackles for losses, and two and a half sacks in one game <laughs> in 2015. Mm-hmm. And he just keeps racking it up. So he finishes the season. At, I'm looking at all these different numbers. And it's like season high: this many sacks and this many tackles for loss. So uh, he ends up. That's how he starts: 45 solo tackles, 59 total, 22 for a loss, 13 and a half sacks, and two forced fumbles. And and of course, named an AP All American for a second consecutive season. It is just. It's unbelievable, six one three oh nine. I mean, the guy and he and he repped the bench press twenty nine times too. So uh, he's he's just he's a he's a beast. I don't know how oh, else yeah. to, I don't know how else to say it. And I'm very excited to see where and, and what happens with well, not only just him but Artie Burns and Sean Davis. These are all well. We're going to talk about these guys a little bit more, but we w- are moving on to the overachiever category and. I'm going to ask you to take this one first. Who will rise above the level expected of them on the Steelers defense?
1: Okay. Well, mine's kind of funny because it kind of goes along with your Lamar Woodley podcast from the other day. As <laughs> my guy is Anthony Ciccolo. And this pick, this is really just purely speculative, speculative on my point because I kind of went with my gut. Because Anthony, Anthony Ciccolo. He actually impressed the coaching staff last year by saying he was in the best shape of his life, and that he was really understanding. And that I remember reading reports that at times in training camp he he impressed more than Bud Dupree. Like people would say, like, oh, when you look at these two guys, you think Chicolo's is the first round draft pick. And considering this linebacker core we got, we got Arthur Motes and James Harrison. Both are old. James Harrison's an old guy, but Arthur Motes isn't too old. But I wouldn't be surprised if any of them are even. Jarvis Jones or Bud Dupree got injured at one point because injuries are just part of the game. They're going to happen, and we're just really fortunate that all those guys are pretty healthy last year. But I could just definitely see if one of those guys get hurt, they're going to insert Chickalona into the rotation like they did last year when Harrison had to sit out a game. And I think he could just impress, not necessarily racking up sacks or just getting tackle after tackle, but playing solid football, playing his assignments, holding the edge. And I think... He'll, he'll impress next year and he, he could eventually turn into like a rotation guy like Motes is now.
0: Yeah. And I don't, I don't disagree with that. I'm warming up more and more and more to Anthony Chiquillo. And when I'm looking down the the Steelers schedule here, and I'm looking at some of these teams that they're going to end up playing, uh, a lot of people are worried about, I'm looking at the latter half of the year in case there's any type of injuries. You go into mid November now, they're going to play the Dallas Cowboys, who have an excellent offensive line. But right now, and this is all on paper, and this this is why it's called Way Too Early Predictions, because they're going to play the Cleveland Browns, who they just lost Alex Mack, their, their top center. Uh, they're going to have a second-year guy that they drafted high last year, Cam Irving, maybe step into that spot i um, trying to think they had also lost – I think they lost two guys on that offensive line already, which doesn't yeah. bode well for a quarterback like RG3 who's already been banged up, Josh McCown who has an injury history. I mean, it's very likely that the Browns go to their third-string quarterback by the time the Steelers meet them twice uh, in, in the latter half of the season, November 20th and then on New Year's Day. We could see Anthony Chikillo in a game like that, especially if it gets out of control. Also, getting yeah. out of control – the last two years the Steelers have played, the Indianapolis Colts have been absolute just shootouts. And you could see something similar happening there. New York Giants, I mean, uh now Eli Manning with Ben McAdoo as the offensive coordinator last year, uh his, his turnover ratio went down, uh, his sacks had gone down. That's why they brought Ben McAdoo was brought in basically like Todd Haley was only difference is now changing of the guard Tom Coughlin gone as the head coach Ben McAdoo moves to the head coach will we see that to continue so the Giants maybe 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 something there you never know Buffalo Bills Cincinnati Bengals and then of course the Baltimore Ravens trying to retool with their offensive line there that latter half of the year We'll see. Chiquillo might work himself in. And I don't want to discount any, any of these teams that are on here and saying this too early, but I have been warming up to Anthony Chiquillo. My guy, even though I did say I felt Sean Davis could be a day one starter, it was still Robert Golden because Robert Golden's the guy who won a bunch of reps last year. He comes in as just the special teams captain, and now he's been rewarded with a three year contract. And whether that's to provide. Quality veteran depth, if Davis can't, let's put it this way, Shamarco Thomas is one of the guys we're going to be talking about on this, and he has failed to live up to any type of expectation. So if Sean Davis ends up being a dud, Robert Golden is there, hopefully, to pick up any of the slack. But my prediction is we start this season right out the gate with Robert Golden as a starter, and Sean Davis is going to be a bystander of fill-in, maybe in those hybrid nickel-and-dime-type defenses where he's the extra defensive back, like you said, Hybrid players and versatility, very a very big deal on both sides of the football for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Robert Golden's another one of these guys that can kind of do it all. You're probably going to see him all over the field this season. I do think that, that Robert Golden has an opportunity to overachieve anyone's expectations. Now my underachiever, the one I think that isn't going to live up to the expectations placed by the fans. I'm not going to say the coaching staff, because I think the coaching staff already knows who James Harrison is and what he is at this stage in his career. He is now 38 years old. He's still saying he's thinking about he had to contemplate coming back this year. And now we're already hearing that he might want to play next year, too. There's rumblings of that. This guy... He's playing volleyball with medicine balls. He's throwing around the forty-five pound plates like they almost look like—I don't know. You ever see these movies where you know they're plastic and these actors are throwing them up in the air, or they're fi- or they're filled with air. They're like balloons. These are this is real life, and this guy makes it look like it's a toy in the weight room. It is just unbelievable. But just the fact, like you said, he's in a timeshare. He's in a rotation with Jarvis Jones and Arthur Motes and Bud Dupree. And if this coaching staff feels that they want to get Anthony Chiquillo on the field as well, James Harrison just will not have as much time on the field and maybe, maybe they'll, maybe they'll be conservative and kind of save him as the season goes on. And we saw that last year where he got more and more playing time as the season went on. And of course they had leaned heavily on him throughout the playoffs. So, I'm just going to say, you know what, I don't expect 10 sacks out of James Harrison. I don't expect, like, 40, 50 tackles or anything of that nature. In fact, I'm not sure I expect that out of any of the outside linebackers just because the Steelers are just rotating bodies in and keeping them fresh. And that might just be Keith Butler's kind of M.O. and his stamp on this defense as well, is just rotating guys in and having sub-packages to keep them fresh for pass-rush situations, which... Hey, you know, that's a sound strategy if you ask me. But you had someone else on your underachiever list, and as I say the yinzers are gonna yen's, they probably don't like that I picked James Harrison, and hopefully you could at least rationalize my logic. I want to hear how you're gonna defend the guy that you pick as the underachiever this year.
1: Oh, uh, I'm gonna get lots of yens in here. I know it. So my guy is Bud Dupree. And I chose him not because I think he's going to have a bad year. I think he's going to have a good year, maybe a really good year. But I just – I'm not convinced he's going to come out the gate and just be a dominant pass rusher like a lot of people want him to. And, I mean, we all knew how he was coming at college. We knew he was an athletic freak and that he was super raw. That's what everyone knew. And that showed when he played because, like, if you look at his sacks, a lot of them were just – he'd get around the guy and his athleticism would just allow him to keep going and eventually just get to the quarterback. It wasn't him beating his man. It was just him not giving up and just playing hard and getting to the quarterback, which there's nothing wrong with. But when you do that, you can, it limits how many sacks you can get. And I just feel like we're going to see improvement. We're going to see him have more pass moves. We're going to see him have better conditioning, be smarter in coverage. But I just think he's probably one year away from just dominance. Cause even, players like Cam Hayward, the he's dominant now, but it took him about 3 seasons to get there and James Harrison took him 5 years or some rough number like that to get to his like prime playing level.
0: Yeah, and then you know what, that's actually that's kind of just a a whole trend in the Steelers organization overall. We saw that same thing many many years ago with Chad Brown as well, and then Chad Brown just like, you know, comes out of nowhere and is a monster and of course they end up losing him and they couldn't afford to keep all the linebackers they had at that particular time. They lose them to the Seattle Seahawks, and he has a, one of the few guys that left Pittsburgh and went on to still have a prosperous career afterwards. Usually the Steelers are pretty smart, and they seem to know who to cut the ties with early, You know, maybe a year early instead of maybe sometimes keeping a player too late, and they've been guilty of, of both. But usually when someone leaves Pittsburgh – They don't necessarily have the most, what do you want to say, fruitful career like a Mike Wallace. So uh, the linebacking core, sometimes it takes a little bit of time for them to catch on. And we are going to be talking about that in our next segment of this particular way too early defensive predictions. And that would be which Steelers on the hot seat, which Defensive player is under the most pressure to perform this season. Eric, you have an interesting name here.
1: Well, the guy out with is Ross Cockrell, and kind of like I said with Bud Dupree, I'm not trying to talk crap about Cockrell and say he's a bad player. My reasoning for this is the Steelers have kind of been stocking up on cornerback lately because we have Artie Burns, we got Senquez Golson, we have Duran Grant, but I mean, who knows about him? And the Steelers, they signed Russ Coggle to just a one-year deal this year. And I think if they were really impressed with him and loved him, they would have secured him for the long-term deal. But, I mean, because they just signed a one-year deal, I think they're kind of still waiting to see how he turns out. Is, will it like, a year in their system and an off-season with the team help him to improve a lot? Or is, has he kind of plateaued with his playing ability? And he did play really well in 2015. For a guy who came into the team and had, like, a – what we one week two weeks to learn the playbook and he was already starting games. He played really well, so yeah. I am looking forward to seeing how he plays this year.
0: Yeah, he came off of he was during uh, he was one of the final cuts of the Buffalo Bills. He came off of waivers to the Steelers, who then made room. I'm trying to remember who was released in order to make room for Ross Cockrell. I, I may look. I think it up. was
1: B. W. Webb.
0: You might be right. Uh, it was. I definitely... Remember,
1: there's a big. There's a big competition. is was B.W. Webber, Kevin Fogg. Who's it going to be? And n- neither of them make it.
0: Yeah, and that's so odd. I, I was just, I was just working on a piece that will probably be out for any of the listeners when you're listening to this right now uh, on Jordan Berry and the whole punting situation. And that happened very similarly a few years ago with training camp, where two punters were fighting for this, you know, for this job. And then it turns out that neither one of them end up making it. They cut both for the horrible Zoltan Metzko, <laughs> who... The name's
1: Zoltan, though. The name's yeah, Zoltan. Zoltan. Such a Pittsburgh name.
0: Yeah, you can't go wrong. You know, and it's funny, and I, I doubt that my buddy from the pro wrestling ranks is listening to this, but a long time, a former... I was talking about studio wrestling. I actually tweeted uh, Ron Cook from the Fan Morning Show because in his show yesterday... He was talking about studio wrestling and mentioned a bunch of old names like Bruno Sammartino and George the Animal Steel. And he mentioned some guys that were uh pretty much just Pittsburgh legends, but didn't make it out of the Western Pennsylvania regional circuit as far as on the national scene like a Bruno did. Like Bruno's like, you know, uh like trying to bring up a name like a Joe Montana or a Terry Bradshaw in the NFL. He's just a legendary pro wrestler. For those of you maybe WWE or wrestling fans, you may have heard of a guy named Lord Zoltan who is also one of those uh Pittsburgh wrestling legends that's been doing this for nearly 40 years so there's another Zoltan whenever I hear the name Zoltan I'm thinking of that but yeah B.W. Webb um in similar fashion, B.W. Webb and Kevin Fogg, and they're both fighting on it, and everybody, you know, people like me and you are writing about it and getting all hyped up, and these are going to be our guys, and these are our underdogs, we're pulling for them. And then Ross Cockrell just comes in out of nowhere, and he gets significant <laughs> amount of playing time. And pro football focus actually had him ranked very high. I want to say he was as high as, like, 25 or 26. He was in the top 30 of the corners in the NFL oh. in the rankings. So was Brandon Boykin, believe it or not. Like, he was around 23, if memory serves me correctly. And actually, these guys, I want to say both of them are ranked near or ahead of Akeem Talib of all people, believe it or not. So I don't know how they came about those charts and graphs. They're out there. Uh, I believe I may have even had them in a very early article from earlier this year about fixing the secondary hmm. because that was the major concern after the Steelers exited the playoffs. But, yes, Ross Cockrell, I'm I'm high on him. I agree with you. It's one of those one-year prove-it deals. I Just hopefully, you know, if he is utilized and he is a very solid, consistent, and good player, that – It doesn't end up one of these things where, like, Bryce McCain had a very good year on a one-year deal, and then you can't afford him because he's commanding a high dollar in free agency. So that becomes the one concern. Then you're looking at, well, now we need another corner again. But, of course, Senquez Golson, Artie Burns. William Gay can't play forever either, but William Gay uh, secured also, what, a three-year contract? Is like three-year contracts for everyone. It's like watching an episode of Oprah. You get a three-year contract. You get a three-year contract. Everyone gets three-year contracts, but not not my pick on the hot seat. In fact, <laughs> he was declined his fifth-year option from his – From being a first-round draft pick, it's kind of – I was explaining to someone the other day that it's kind of like almost like a franchise tag to get a first-round drafted player for an additional season. However, it would have commanded over $8 million for a player who certainly hasn't lived up to $8 million a year, and that is Jarvis Jones. and. It was funny because I didn't want to mention this during your Bud Dupree segment, but in much the same way, a lot of people are hoping that the lights turn on for Jarvis here in this fifth year, much like Chad Brown and some of those guys that you had mentioned as well, James Harrison. Even the edge guys or or the defensive ends, I should say, like Cam Hayward, who Cam Hayward, in all fairness, didn't get a whole lot of playing time, and they were still trying to like squeeze like blood out of a penny with Ziggy Hood, and that just wasn't working. And then when Cam gets, it was like the that one point during that season several years ago, they just said, well, let's screw screw it, let's just start putting guys out there, and they did that with like Jason Worlds, and the, I think the Steelers learned a lesson that they're not just gonna like from Lamar Woodley, who's been mentioned way more times than I ever thought he would be in the last week. And you know what? I'm going to hold that thought for one second because we are talking about Matt Spaeth, and you know this because I showed it to you, and Wesley Saunders was at the Southside Complex about a month ago, and now, of course, with Matt Spaeth uh, getting released, Wesley Saunders' name, a former tight end with the Pittsburgh Steelers and then the Indianapolis Colts as well, His name pops back up, and he ends up like retweeting and then liking something I said. Wesley, don't give me any type of ideas because he's getting mentioned right now. Even though it's the defensive thing, I'm like, hey, don't give me any type of ideas here uh, because I'll be accused of yinzing. So just (laughs) like, but I think the Steelers have learned uh, at least. Uh, unfortunately for Wesley Saunders, he's not going to get an $8 million a year contract, but the Steelers, I think have wised up with getting burned on the Lamar Woodley deal and Lamar Woodley deserved all that money. I'd said this on the, on that specific podcast, uh, he had, he was, the world was on fire. He was one of the best defenders in the entire NFL and he got paid what he was deserved. And then all of a sudden it's like, he got the money and just You know, right down the drain, couldn't stay healthy. Uh, I think the health factors were more an issue with his performance. Maybe he was scared of getting hurt again. You never know. There's so many things that affect you on and off the field when you're trying to play. And then, of course, Jason Worlds, they transition, tag him, pay him that money for the one season. Everybody's thinking he's going to go off into free agency, and he retires, and he kind of leaves the team high and dry with the outside linebacker situation. So what I'm really hoping, and this was a question that was posed to me, I think it was on YouTube, And I do want to remind some of our listeners now, since I have a chance and it popped into my memory, that I started a hotline, a Steel City Underground hotline, and it's simply just a number that you call in and you could leave a question and we'll answer it on the air. So if we had a a mailbag question right now, Eric, we could be playing it and could be listening to it and answering it right here on the air. They had asked what I thought about Jarvis Jones heading into next season, and if I thought he would be re-signed. And I said, I think the the Steelers are trying to do here is uh, they know they can't afford $8 million and then try and – get a long-term deal done with Le'Veon Bell, David DeCastro, and possibly even extend Antonio Brown. They got a lot of other uh, housekeeping to do, so they're not going to spend $8 million. That would be foolish to give that type of money to Jarvis Jones right now. I could see Jarvis Jones returning, even if he is a very similar player to what he is now. He may even regress into a backup role, but he's a very solid run-stopper. I do think if... The right money is is there for both sides. He may continue to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. Of course, he could he could be lights out. We're really hoping that the lights go on. But huh. he's on the hot seat. He's under the most pr- uh, pressure of all of these defenders to perform. I don't even know that there's as much pressure on the rookies. There's not even as much pressure on Bud Dupree. And I think I think all the expectations have been tempered for most of these players because of how. Jarvis Jones' career has gone so far. Jarvis Jones has been hurt. He hasn't been on the field. He was put on the uh, the designation of return a couple years ago. And then last year it was just, you know, not the strongest season for him whatsoever. I think, what he have, like one or two sacks maybe? So Something like that.
1: Yeah, so, Hey, I remember one of the sacks came versus the Bengals, and he forced the fumble. So at least they were worth it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we were talking me and me and Daniel were talking the other day too how um Andy Dalton tried to tackle Stefan to it and then broke his finger. So <laughs> mm-hmm. So I mean yeah, it's just one of those things and uh just looking at we were talking about we're talking about all these uh different tight ends and hybrids like David Johnson and we- and Wesley Saunders and then we're talking about uh Matt Spath and Matt Spath and those guys, that was the whole roster bubble. And on the defensive end of the ball, I said here jokingly in the article that I thought Ross Ventrone would be on the roster bubble. Ross Ventrone may actually be more safe than a few other guys that are out there. I actually think for a guy who has been, well, I think released and re-signed 14 times Well, this is actually backwards. It was 41 times. I want to say it might have been 14 just by the Steelers. The Patriots were releasing and cutting this guy every other week. He's only ever played for—originally entered the league with the New England Patriots, and he's only ever played for them in the Pittsburgh Steelers. He makes a living— off of just going on on the practice squad, getting called back up, getting cut, going back to the practice squad. I don't know if he has like an apartment or if he's actually invested <laughs> in property in you know the Greater Boston and Pittsburgh areas where he has like a home, and that's just uh, his two places. It's, it, I hate, you know I hate that because I'd like I'd like this guy to earn a nice paycheck and not have to worry next week if he's on an NFL roster, but he's not my roster bubble guy, believe it or not. Is despite uh-huh. getting cut and re signed so many times. And I think you have the same exact guy. We talked about him briefly, Shamarco Thomas. What, what do you think about Shamarco?
1: See, Shamarco, it's just strange because when he was drafted, we were all excited about him. We got the next Troy Palomalu. He was a really sparky, aggressive guy. He can hit you. He even trained with Troy in the offseason. But last year he got his opportunity to start, and he just did nothing with it. He just all he did was miss tackles, make mistakes on his assignments, and eventually he got benched for Will Allen. And I just don't know if there's a place for, place for him on this roster anymore. Like he's a great special teams player, we all know that. Yeah. But even like in his best area, he still makes mistakes. Yeah. Like he'll get too close to a guy, get a penalty, or I think in that Denver game. I remember, I think it was the Denver game. We punted it. Tremarco kind of just sat in front of the ball and then the receiver picked up the ball, ran in for a touchdown. And we were really lucky because there was a penalty because their guys walked onto the field. I think
0: it, the, what it was, his foot was barely out of bounds and he had touched the ball or the ball had touched him. And that made it a dead ball on the yeah, replay. That was that. the long. Yeah. That was that, that long return that was nullified and that was, like, yeah. the one good thing that happened. And you know what? I had these notes, and I don't have them uh, currently with me, but I said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up maybe one or two clips of actually of some good Shamarco Thomas highlights aside from you were talking about he was working out with Troy Polmolo. He was yeah. thought to be the heir of Troy Polmolo. Every opportunity has been given to him. He heads into the preseason, and even in that Hall of Fame game, he looked lost. And then we talked about mm-hmm. how you have to cut your teeth. You have to be able to play special teams, too. It was one of the reasons you said that Lamar Woodley would not be a fit for this team. We both feel that there could be 10 or 11 linebackers that are retained on this roster. So this is where we're thinking Shamarco Thomas is on the the chopping block because if they decide Ross Ventrone's more valuable because he could play special teams and Shamarco can't, there may not be a spot for an extra safety. I think Shamarco just makes it... Just based on the numbers game, he would have to be beat out by an undrafted guy, uh, somebody that's basically like a walk-on under the ninety-man roster that that nobody would think would have a shot right now. Maybe like a Jordan Dangerfield that you know he's been on the practice squad off and on over the last year or so. Uh, still, I don't see it. I think the Steelers. It's weird because, you know what? I thought the same thing with Dre Archer and they canned them early last season. And I thought they're they're not ones to really. They're committed to their draft picks. They're not ones to admit their mistakes, but they cut ties with Dre Archer. Shamarco Thomas last year. Now, with the Steelers, there's two different penalties on the special teams there's like interference to catch, and then there's, there's one other one. Um, I can't think of the exact word for it, but they both have to do with interfering uh, with a return man, and the Steelers committed three of those penalties last year, and there's only two actual penalties that are called by the officials, and Shamarco Thomas committed both varieties of that penalty, and he committed hmm. the one twice. And as I think it was your quote that said, Mike Tomlin is a stickler for disciplined football. And we're really surprised that Shamarco Thomas, it was even still on the roster at this point. And then of course the one good thing that he did do, I'm not even sure that he intentionally did it where he was standing out of bounds and we just happened to get, you know, it's like one of those dumb luck things where he just happens to be there. So (laughs) uh, the, the other thing you had mentioned too was the departure of Terrence Garvin and Sean Spence, to uh back up linebackers, guys that were actually very solid special teams contributors. Spence played an awful lot of special team snaps. Actually Shamarco, I think, played the second most to Robert Golden last year, believe it or not. So he was out there quite a bit. There were a few tackles. I saw this in doing my analysis for the Jordan Berry and the punting game and special teams. So I will dig up the look, uh, listeners, you got to look for either the Vines or look on Facebook and Twitter. Look for these videos. Also, put them on the Ste- daily Steelers grind named after Eric here. <laughs> Maybe hey. I'll put them on one of those. I'm going to find those Shamarco Thomas highlights. So, hmm. uh, yeah. last but not Joe, there's, least. There's
1: actually one guy. He's a very known name. There's a guy I'm rooting for. It's Ray Vinapal. He's a safety on our 90 man roster. And I kind of have some hometown bias here because. He went to Pitt, and I mentioned on my Twitter I go to some school in the city of Pittsburgh, and I was at the Pitt game a few years ago when they they played Notre Dame and they upset them, and that was an amazing game, and I think Ray Venable got two interceptions that game, and I don't know actually how good he is or how he's done, so I'm kind of just rooting him, rooting for him because so I've seen him play and I've seen him win, so. You know, it's a little funny. bit of hometown bias there. <laughs> you know,
0: there's hometown bias here. He actually went to high school at Youngstown Cardinal Mooney, which is where I live. It's about no five way. minutes down the road. No, not even, not even joking with you. And actually, uh, my day job, one of my bosses, is a coach for the baseball team there. So he's very connected with the whole. Sure. There's, there's a long lineage of football that goes on there. And most people. This would blow your mind, and most people would buy a ticket to this if they even knew it existed, but they just got done doing like a bocce tournament over the 4th of July weekend, and they always have guys in there like Kirk Herb Street, and they have uh, the Stoops brothers, like the Oklahoma coach, and oh, uh, Bo Pelini, who's now the coach at Youngstown State, but from Nebraska, and... It's wow. I mean, they just have all these guys come in. So there's that Ray Paul connection there because I was hearing about it, and I said, oh, yeah, camp body. But now as you're bringing it up, this was the name that I told Nathaniel on the last show. I don't like mentioning guys that are I feel are camp bodies. I just don't think it's fair. But you know what? It, it wouldn't be without the realm of plausibility here because there was another guy from Youngstown Cardinal Mooney, John Simon, who is now a Houston Texan. He was heavily featured on the Hard Knock show last year and actually made quite an impact on that defense last season just coming kind of out of nowhere i believe he was another undrafted guy that was bouncing around he may have even been i want to say he may have started with the ravens in fact and he was just bouncing around and ends up with the texans and and he's stuck there and now he's a a contributor so you just never know how this is going to happen and of course vinipol with the former state championship high school football team and of course as you say in the the hometown uh Pit connection, those aren't, you know, he's come from a a tradition of good programs. So this isn't a guy that you necessarily want to sleep on. And if Shamarco Thomas is sleeping, he could lose his spot to an undrafted guy like this. I mean, nobody knew who James Harrison was coming from Kent State many, 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 many years ago, bouncing around NFL Europe, uh, maybe a stint or two with the Ravens, a stint or two with the Steelers. And finally, the guy, he becomes a defensive MVP and has one of the most famous oh. plays in Super Bowl history. And when you're looking for guys that are going to make that type of an impact, the X factor, Eric, I love your pick here. Uh, my pick is going to be contradictory to yours, but let's hear who you have first.
1: Uh, well, my pick's not a big surprise for anyone. It's Stephon Tuitt. And anyone who watched Steelers last year, they knew Stephon Tuitt played great last year. He, he ended up with six or six and a half sacks i'm not sure what exactly the exact number it is but he got that he got an interception against that play you mentioned earlier with andy dalton where he got that interception and he tried to tackle him and dalton broke his thumb and he's just displayed so much talent this time here he has the athleticism he has the above the neck play that tomlin loves and i just really see him taking a big jump like cam hayward did and going into his third year yeah there's really no reason he can't he's showed all the potential he's shown all the work ethic he's shown all the smarts so i don't see uh, unless there's god forbid an injury i think he's gonna be a star next year
0: yeah absolutely and i love stefan to it but my pick obviously was contradictory to who you thought well i know you weren't dogging him but bud dupree last year i felt four sacks 17 total tackles he started a lot stronger I think as a second-year player, he's going to be utilized a lot more than he was the first year, and I also think the Steelers are committed more now than ever than to get their young players on the field. The window of oh, yeah. opportunity for Ben Roethlisberger with this team is uh, just the window of opportunities getting smaller and smaller. So this is like that uh, to, to borrow a phrase from basketball and the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is all in. Uh, I think they're committed to getting this done and trying to get another Lombardi, if not two, before Ben's career is over. So Bud Dupree is my X-Factor pick. And ladies and gentlemen, that pretty much wraps our way-too-early defensive predictions. I did mention the Steel City Underground hotline, but I didn't give you the number earlier. So if you were patiently waiting for that, it's 203 900 Four SCU, as in Steel City Underground, or all those numbers two hundred three nine 4728 Eric, you could follow him at Steelers Grind. We're constantly talking. Sometimes we're also uh, talking to trolls. <laughs> so <laughs> we got. We had, I had a Cincinnati Bengals fan that jumped on and just wanted to try and be a bully today and kept saying that everything I was talking about was old history. But how can it be old history when the very last game that they played was the one where they lose to the Steelers? So that's just garbage. It's not the History Channel thing. And when I say that we have six rings and you guys haven't won a playoff game since 1991 – like, come on, man, come back. He's trying to tell me I need better material. He needs to come back when he gets any type of material. They haven't had material in over twenty five years. So, <laughs> but Eric, you have any closing thoughts for the listeners of the Steel City Underground podcast?
1: Oh, uh, let's see. I'll, I'll list them off. One, I can't wait for the season to start because I never thought in one week I talked so much about Lamar Woodley and the number three tight end position. <laughs> it's been the hottest topics this week, and that's. When that happens, you know you're ready for football again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, uh, thank you for joining me. Hope to have you on again soon. I do want to talk about that number three tight end spot and the impact that Matt Spath had. Maybe we will wait and hold off at least until training camp and we're talking about Wesley Saunders uh, maybe per- perhaps being there and the Steelers got this t- Tulsa tight end instead. So if Wesley Saunders was even, <laughs> uh, even remotely thought of by the front office, I, I, I don't know. They wouldn't have went and grabbed a guy from Tulsa. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's been fun. Eric, been fun to have you on. Until next time, be safe, be good, and I will catch you later. We would like to thank you for listening and remind our listeners to follow us on social media and our website, www.steelcityunderground.com. There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano.